This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Happy New Year and welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, well, it's a new year, so you might as well start it off the best decision you might ever make. This is episode number 35, and in this episode, I sit down with Kurt Cameron of Thomas Hooker Ales and Lagers in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Kurt talks to me about how he became the owner of Thomas Hooker, how he's tried to perfect the best-tasting CBD seltzer, and he tells us about the charity event that he held to get dogs adopted when they had full kegs of beer not being sold due to COVID. Well, just like the other Kurt Cameron we all know, we all go through some growing pains. But when it comes to the business aspect of them, Kurt really seems to know how to handle them. Maybe we can all learn from Kurt that the best is ready to begin as long as we got each other. And maybe it's time I remember which Kurt I'm talking about. Well, in the meantime, you should sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Kurt Cameron of Thomas Hooker Ale and Lagers in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Back in 1996, the Troutbrook Brewery was established to create beers for the Troutbrook Brew Pub. After changing hands numerous times, Troutbrook Brewery became a manufacturing microbrewery with a new focus on distribution. In 2003, new management had come in and fired up the brewery again as Thomas Hooker Ales and Lagers, naming it after the most famous of the Troutbrook beers, Thomas Hooker Ale. It wasn't long until Kirk Cameron and his partners purchased the brewery in 2006. Soon afterwards, they converted it from a brew pub to a distributing brewery, moving it to Bloomfield in 2007. Since then, they have become one of the most notable and recognized breweries in not only Hartford, but all of Connecticut. And Kurt is here with me today. Kurt, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. You wound up being a owner of a basically a beverage company. You started a New England beverage and it was basically a distribution company. You sold wine, liquors, all that. Can you tell us a story about how you became owner of Thomas Hooker and Ales and Lagers? Yeah. yeah, I'll just give you a quick quick sort of once-over on the professional history, if you will. I've, I've been sort of uh, called a serial entrepreneur in that, uh, you know, I, I was uh, for years in the software business. Uh, that was really what my college education was all about, so... Worked for a number of different software companies that finally ended up out in Silicon Valley. Worked there for a number of years. And once I had young kids, it was time to stop being on planes three days a week and sort of settle down. So I took some time off and built our first liquor store. And we built some pretty large stores. And one of the things that we really focused on was beer because beer was really starting to come up when Dogfish Head was getting famous and all that kind of good stuff. Right, right. Um, after a couple of years, we sold those off. And I jokingly say, I, uh, you know, I needed a job. So one of the... Um, one of the uh, attorneys that I used had said, hey, what do you know about Thomas Hooker? And I was like, yeah, it's a good little brand, but they don't do it much with it. And he's like, you want to go buy it? I go, I don't know, is it for sale? So long story short, we end up taking the company over. And uh, that sounds a little lofty, but not really, because it had one employee left that was pretty much running out of the back of, uh, back of one of the defunct brew pubs. But it had a good brand following. And so we ended up taking it over. And like you had said earlier, moved it to Bloomfield in 07 with an eye more on uh, – on production and so we got out of the restaurant business altogether uh started brewing and packaging beer in bloomfield and we've had a nice sort of systemic growth uh, uh over the last uh, you know 12 13 years very nice so can you tell me what were some of the major things that you did for this company that that turned it into the brewery it is today yeah i mean we've um you know we've been at this a long time we're like the old guys in this business right. and 
interesting. A lot of times people say, hey, what are my long-term goals in the brewing business? And I laugh a little bit at that because this is such a dynamic industry. What was working back in 07 is completely different than what really works you know, today. So we've gone through all sorts of twists and turns and pivots along the way. Um, you know, we were, you know, mainly making, you know, two or three different types of beer back then. Now I think we make 20 to 25. Um, the styles are much different. Um, we also, um, really had a focus on customer experience, meaning that people could come into the brewery, they could sample the beers, we would give them tours, they could actually, you know, try some beers off the tank. So that's a really important part. So one of the things we've invested on uh, substantially, in addition to, you know, really just upgrading the brewery with the, the, the latest and greatest uh, technology is that customer experience. So we've got full restaurants. So we've kind of gone back to uh, the, the restaurant uh, model. So we have full commercial kitchens in both of our locations and uh people can come in sample the beers but also sample some great food along with it right so now you have uh you have two locations you have Mm -hmm. the original one in bloomfield and you have the one at the colt which you opened up in 2018 but there was also a third uh oh there wasn't there was a third that was in in mohegan uh, sun so yeah mohegan sun the big casino to talk about those um so when we originally opened up in bloomfield in 07 um we bought a building about a 12,000 square foot building and we we took over just the back part of it and we had a tenant in the front as time sort of went on and we expanded we finally moved the tenant out we took over the whole front of the building and really built a full-fledged you know tasting room um and uh, then we subsequently bought the 30,000 square foot building next door and we've got some of our production over there now and warehousing um and we even have a, a dog rescue so that's the bloomfield location right. um yeah in 2017 we actually opened up uh thomas hooker at colt and what we did down there was we built a, a test brewing facility so it's a smaller three barrel facility that we can um brew test recipes and, and, and make sure we've got something we like before we, you know, before we make, you know, the equivalent of 15,000 beers of it up here at the brewery. Right, right. Um, that's, and that's just a cool location because it's a 650,000 square foot, uh, sort of mixed use location. We've got, you know, 200 residential apartments. There's about 1500 people that work in the building. It's just a, and it's just riddled with, with history of Connecticut. It's actually where the revolver was invented. Um, so we've got that facility. And for a while, we ran a facility down at the Mohegan Sun Casino. They had, years ago, um, started a brew pub. And it sort of fell on hard times because the beer coming out of there was marginal. So I sort of made a play and said, hey, guys, I'll reopen it under our name and, you know, and, and create something kind of cool for you. And we did that for a few years and it worked out really well. And then, you know, casinos are always changing and uh, they made some changes to the facility. We, we sort of said, hey, it's been great. Um, we're going to we're going to go. And uh, um, so that was a great experience as well. So, yeah, we've been we've been all over the road. Right, right. Yeah, and I actually I I swung by the the one at the Colt. It was a very cool location. Unfortunately, when I showed up there, uh, it just happened to be closed that day for like some some wine tasting or something. It oh yeah, they have this. They have a huge wine tasting event every year. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, but it's it's a it's a I, we really enjoyed being there, you know. And, right. right. Um, it was a, it was a good experience. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful at the Colt. Yeah, it's beautiful. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I mean, we were, yeah. It's just it's just, the, the management down there is just fantastic, and it's uh, like I said, it's just riddled with uh, with history. So yeah, it's beautiful. Recently, uh, you know, with the whole COVID situation, I don't know 
basically how hard you were hit by that, but, but how did how did that affect your your business plan? Well, so because we're sort of diversified, right? We have we have restaurants, we have production brewing. Um, it's it's been it's been uh, harmful on the restaurant side of, of the house. You know, we were required to shut down for you know a couple of months, um, so that was particularly painful because we had to lay off you know twenty five thirty people. Right. Um, um, and then once we were allowed to bring them back, you know, we had a pretty good summer to be quite honest with you. We're, we're fortunate that we have nice big patios at both locations and we put a big tent up here at Bloomfield. So the summer went well. Right. And you know, I'm, you know, I guess I'm like so many guys that, you know, now that it's getting cold, it's, uh, it's put kind of a hurt on the restaurant business. And now with the uptick in COVID, you know, a lot of people don't want to come out, but we're, you know, we're trying to pivot. We're, we're doing a lot of takeout and, uh, you know, we'll survive it because of our production business, which, frankly has done phenomenal during uh during this time you know people keep people kept drinking beer yeah um but it, it really forced us to go from 30 percent draft to and 60 percent uh or 70 percent cans to uh you know 100 percent cans which of course you know is another issue right there's not enough cans out there but, right yeah that's um, that's what i hear yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we've had a pretty, we've been very fortunate. Uh, I mean, I, I've got to say, I mean, our, our production business is, is actually up this year. So, awesome. um, like, life could be worse. Yeah. God bless. That's awesome. So, um, can you just briefly kind of tell me a little bit about how you had some kegs sitting that couldn't move and you uh, kind of yeah. turned, turned the yeah, idea like, into a little like charity? A you know, we're distributed through the Budweiser Distribution Network and they've been phenomenal partners for us. Uh, over the, you know, I think since 08 or 09. And they came to us and said, hey, look, you know, we're getting killed. There's all these poor restaurants out there that want to send back all the draft beer that they can't obviously serve. You know, can you help us out with that? And, and like a lot of breweries that had the ability, we said, yeah, sure. Well, you know, we'll, we'll take half the, uh, the hit on that with you and we'll take all those, dra- all those draft beers back. The problem is it's, it's still good beer, right? Right. And yeah. so we thought, you know what, let's, uh, let's try to do something creative. So we had a um, draft beer adoption program. So here at the brewery, we also have a 6,000 square foot dog rescue. And awesome. we thought, you know, we'll kind of do a parody on, you remember the old Sarah McLaughlin commercials where it was like in the arms of an angel yes. and they show all these sad pictures of dogs. So we did the same kind of ad, but we did it with draft beer. Okay. So the, <laughs> so the pitch was, you know, come come give draft beer a, a, a good home or a temporary home. And then we donated the proceeds from that, uh, from that sale to the dog rescue. So the tagline was give draft beer a temporary home and give a, a dog a permanent home. And so what we did is we, we got a local dairy to donate a bunch of gallon jugs and we just started filling up gallon jugs with beer and we sold gallons of beer for 10 bucks. Um, so it was a heck of a lot better than dumping it down the drain. Although I will say that uh, gallon milk jugs are not the best vessel for beer. Uh, you know, people were pretty cool about it and uh, drank it quick. And I think it was a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I find that uh, two liter Coke bottles are, are a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Those are a little thicker. <laughs> yeah, right. Let me t- That's what I used to put it in. <laughs> yeah. Anything that expands and contracts like that uh, is uh, a marginal a marginal vessel to put beer in. <laughs> right, for sure. So recently just read also that um, you started making CBD seltzer? Yeah, that, that's been an incredible, um, an incredible growth area for us. So Yeah, I wanted to um, know, how, like that, how does that venture working out for you and your company? Yeah, 
Well, I, I think really well, and I think for a couple of reasons. You know, number one, you know, when, when we started looking at that market, we, 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 you know, we went out and we bought a bunch of stuff, and we were kind of surprised that a lot of them didn't taste very good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we're pretty good at making things taste good, and we've, you know, we, we have a handful of different beers that we flavor, and we have some sort of proprietary techniques for making sure that things blend well. So we started playing around with how do we make a seltzer that tastes good. Um, and then the other piece of this thing is, uh, the, the magic is not so much in the CBD because we use a CBD isolate, so there's no other, there's no THC or anything like that. Right. But it's the nano emulsion. So the nano emulsion is really what allows an oil to emulsify in water. So these nano emulsions essentially are really, really small particles that will blend with water. And we do extensive testing on all of our CBD products to the point that you can scan a code on the uh, on a QR code on the can. It'll take you directly to an independent lab result for every single batch of CBD we put out there. And you can see that if we say there's 26 milligrams uh, of CBD in the can, you can see that independent lab result and it proves it. And you know, frankly, it's usually more than that. Right. Um, whereas a lot of guys are just putting stuff out there that frankly we've tested and you'll say, somebody will say, Oh, there's 25 milligrams in a can. We've tested it, it comes in at 19 or right. 15 or something like that. So, you know, that whole, that whole sort of ion quality is what we really think uh, people are appreciating. And, and that's why they gravitate to our products, because we prove that what's, you know, what we say on the can is what's in the can. Right. Very interesting. Very cool. Uh, so what was something you never thought when you, I mean, I know you were in the beverage uh, industry prior to selling beverages and whatnot. Um but actually being a brewery owner, what was something that you never thought you were going to have to deal with? I was always amazed at how hard uh, uh, packaging was. You know, it's, it's one of those things people think, oh, you push a button and the beer goes into a can. But one of the things I always preach to my guys is you can make the best beer in the world, um, but getting it in the can and getting it in the can so it lasts on the shelf is the really hard part. So we've really invested heavily in um, in testing. So we, we actually can test every batch of beer and within three hours, we know if there's any sort of precursors to bacterial infection. Um, so, and if there is, you know, it goes down the drain. So we have, um, PCR testing here at the brewery, um, that actually runs it through a centrifuge, puts it in this magic machine and it comes out and tells you, do you have lactobacillus, pediococcus or anything else that could potentially, you know, give off flavors in that beer. Um, the other thing is we've just invested heavily in really, really good packaging equipment and QC uh, uh, equipment that will check for air counts and will check seams on the cans. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to buy, but it's what makes quality product and consistent product. And I think the consumer, as they get smarter and smarter about beer, is really starting to appreciate that. Right. Yeah. So I, I always tell people probably the best compliment I get is people will come to our brewery and we have so many different types of beers at any given time. We might have 20, 20 plus beers on tap right. and I'll get the, the comment that, you know, I might not like every style of beer that you make, but I can tell that every style is well-made. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's a testament to my, to my brewers and my and packaging staff that they're really doing a good job back there. Yeah. One of my favorites personally is uh super duper double citra. Yeah. Which, we just made a triple of that. Yeah, that's I just a, I just saw that. Scary one. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I'm sure it, it hits hard. Um yeah, yeah I, just, I love the packaging and how it's got like that double dare 
look to it. Very cool. Very cool. I ha- I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I don't either. I don't know what I'm talking about either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what qualities would you say that you possess that make you a good business owner? Well, you're making the assumption I'm a good business owner first of all. Well, I would I would hope I so. I mean, it I seems this way. Um, it seems this way. Um, I, I the, the one thing that I, I uh, you know I hear from employees is that um, like I will I, I never expect anybody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. So um, in addition to you know doing interviews and sitting at my desk, you know I'm I'm back there working with the guys. Um, I'll also you know I, I jokingly say I'll, you know I'll I'll outwork anybody here. I mean now granted I'm the business owner, but you know. Um, I put a lot of hours in here and I think that, you know, when you expect guys to work hard for you, um, showing them that you're not afraid to work hard as well. Uh, I think they appreciate. Right. Yeah. That hustle. Uh, and, and, you know, and I have a high expectations of my guys. So, you know, I'm, you know, if you're a guy that wants to come and just kind of cruise, you know, this is probably not the right spot for you. So I'm really, I'm proud of who we have working here and how hard they work. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. So, who would you say uh, inspired you the most in the beer industry? Right. Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting. Um, before I got into the beer industry, uh, I'll be honest, I, I didn't know a lot about the beer industry. Um, you know, I wasn't in a, a home brewer. Everybody always asked me, oh, were you a home brewer with a dream? And I'm like, uh, yeah, not really. Right. You know, my dream was really more, I was always in more service industries, and I, I wanted to try to grow a brand. And that was what the big draw to, um, to, to Thomas Hooker was. So I don't know if there's any one person in the beer industry that inspired me. I think just, uh, you know, people who I respected in business sort of inspired me because, you know, you work hard, you kind of come up with a game plan and you you try to follow it. And, uh, yeah, so I I wish I could say, you know, it was, you know, any one person that started a long time ago, but I'd be lying if I said, you know, it was somebody. Right. So, I mean, you definitely strive for success. You want your business to be successful. Was there a defining moment for you where that kind of like sticks out when things were just like, yeah, this is, things are going in the right direction and like, you know, it just kind of sticks out. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I would, I would actually almost say that one of the moments I remember most was actually the opposite, the negative. I, I remember we were probably doing this for three, three years or so, maybe two years. And, you know, we had run through our original investment money and myself and one of my main partners, we were sitting on the, on the side steps outside the brewery going, Jesus, what are we going to do? You know, it's like, this just isn't working. We're not selling enough beer and, and on and on. And it wasn't long after that, we were able to cut a deal with the, uh, AB distributors in the state. They bought us away from our previous distribution, which is what was really killing us. And that was the turning point for the company. And, um, you know, the next turning point was, you know, we, we were having a, a pretty good run and then all these other little breweries started popping up and we weren't the cool guys anymore. And we sort of had to regroup. And I still remember we, you know, we, we said, all right, spend sort of, you know, our last, you know, bunch of money. We bought a canning line, you know, we spent a quarter million bucks on a canning line. We rebranded and we had a couple of new New England IPAs that just hit and it hit at the right time and it saved the company again. And so it's, you know, it's really a series of up and downs of successes and, and hard times that, you know, maybe have made us a little bit, you know, 
more try, you know, just more experience in dealing right. the, the, the peaks and valleys of this industry. Definitely humbling. No yeah, doubt. no, absolutely. I mean, I, I always have a saying that you become smarter by learning how little you know, and you know, you really gotta you gotta look in the mirror sometimes and say, hey, are we doing it right? Or you know, you know, you don't want to follow guys, but you definitely need to, to look at what's out there and, and sort of make make logical decisions along the way. Right. So, I mean, dealing with all that and uh, constantly, I'm sure you constantly kind of want to be there and make sure the business is doing well. How important is a mental break for you? What's the importance there? Um, you know, it's interesting. I like, I, I'm sort of a workaholic and, um, if I have a mental break, sometimes it's, you know, I'd step away from the uh, management side of the, the desk and just go out on the, on the floor. I mean, I'm still the guy that they go to for really hardcore, you know, canning line issues. Um, I love building things. So, you know, we do a lot of our own work. We do a lot of our own plumbing and electric and all that kind of stuff. So, right. um, I'm a guy that likes to get his hands dirty. And if, if I have a sort of a mental release, it's that I'm going out there and, uh, you know, uh, you know, stepping away from the management and going out and, and plumbing a new, you know, a new water connection in or fixing the canning line or something along those lines. Right. So, I mean, you've been doing this, uh, since 2007. Right, yeah. 2006. Yeah, um, 2006. Yeah. What would you say has been the biggest change in the industry uh, since you first got into it? <clears throat> well, I, I think it's just the sheer number of breweries. When I got into it, I think there were six, seven hundred breweries. Now there's what six thousand right. <laughs> breweries. Yeah. Right. So there's not too many industries that you can see such exponential growth uh, in the number of competitors. Um, now, thankfully, what's happened is that the beer market's changed substantially, right? So there's a yes. lot more sort of acceptance for craft beers. And, I mean, I think that's the biggest change. I think the other thing is, is you know, back when I got into it, everybody sort of had an eye on distribution. And I think that that's a bad model now. I mean, you can't start a brewery today and say, hey, I'm going to just go out and get a distributor and they're going to distribute my product. I think the right model now is, you know, you make your beer, you have a tasting room, and so, you know, people, you know, I, I think that a lot of small breweries that start up now are more in competition with their local restaurants than they are with me. Right. So because they're really taking that, that, that retail dollar as opposed to, you know, trying to go after the distributors and get mine share with them, you know, the AB distributors. For sure. So this is one of my favorite questions. Um, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? Oh, that is a good one. So, <clears throat> my gateway beer, I think, was Hefeweizens. So, I remember when I graduated college, I, I uh, backpacked across Europe, and I had this beer uh, in the Hofbrauhaus in Munich, Germany, and it was a Hefeweizen, you know, and a real German-style Hefeweizen, not like an American-style. Right. And, and I just loved it. So, you know, some of my favorite beers even today are like Schneiderweiss, or Eyinger, um, Weinstefan, and, and beers like that. And right. so those were my sort of non-traditional, you know, beers. Of course, you know, way back then you couldn't even get them in the United States. But, um, yeah, the, the good German-style Hefeweizens were the ones that were my gateway. Gotcha. So uh, what does the future look like for Thomas Hooker? What's, ne <laughs> what's next for your brewery? Oh, uh, that's a good question. It's funny. We, we've... Uh, we've 
almost from the ground up rebuilt the brewery. I mean, I'm talking, we cut the floors out, repitched them, did all this kind of stuff. Right. We can fit maybe three more tanks into our facility. Um, it's balanced really well with our canning lines. So, you know, I'm apprehensive. Like, I like the size that we're at right now. You know, everybody always wants to get bigger and bigger and bigger, but, um, you know, breweries are, are essentially a series of plateaus and we're really sort of plateauing from a, a a capacity perspective where we are right now. Um, you know, we own all of our buildings and, and all that. So, you know, our, our, our next step, I think is really maybe additional, uh, retail outlets. You know, we're looking at doing another, you know, uh, satellite location and, and then, you know, we'll see what, go, what, what happens from there. You know, it's, uh, you know, for us to build another brewery, I mean, that's, you know, I'm apprehensive about spending, you know, 10, 20 million bucks on another brewery at this particular point. Um, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens, right? Yeah, we'll see, especially after this next wave and hopefully it doesn't shut down everything again. So we'll see how that looks like, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, where we are right now is, um, and I say this to my guys, is like, you know, I'm not looking to get a lot bigger. What I'm looking up for is to increase efficiencies i want to increase profitability and i want to increase just the ability for everybody to kind of kick back and enjoy the passing of time a little bit more you know so we're not always running and working so hard gotcha so if somebody came to you and they asked you for advice on opening their own brewery what advice would you give them um the first thing i would ask is you know what's unique about what you're going to try to create. You know, I, I always think breweries got to have, they've got to have sort of a soul, right? They've got to figure out who they are. It's like, everybody thinks that their beer is better than the next guys. But I got to tell you right now, there's such phenomenal beer being made out there that, you know, just good beer is not, uh, is not enough. You need sort of a story. You need, um, a cool location. I would tell people that you definitely want to do the tasting room model. Um, because you're going to have a really hard time getting any sort of mind share within a distributor. So you're going to want to try to sell as much beer as you can direct to the consumer because that's the highest margin way to do it. Right. So create a cool tasting room, a cool tap room, um, you know, keep an eye on quality and, and try to be unique. Gotcha. And did you have a funny story for us? So the one story that I, uh, people ask, you know, you know, did you, you know, you obviously took over a brand that was already in existence. <clears throat> you know, what was, you know, what was kind of like your, your aha moment about, uh, about the company. And I say, well, I actually have a funny story as to why I shouldn't have bought it. And that was, um, when it was Trumper Brewing in Hartford, uh, myself and, uh, my wife, or she wasn't my wife back then. She was my girlfriend. We all went out to dinner at, at the Trumper Brew Pub. And as we're sitting there, my wife kind of, nudges me and she says look at my plate and there was actually a cockroach running across her meal <laughs> and i was like oh my god and if you would have told me that night that someday i would own this company i would have said you're crazy <laughs> but fast forward you know a number of years and i do and uh i'm happy to say um we don't have cockroaches running across our food anymore that's a great great thing to- <laughs> <laughs> that was that was, a, that was a classic yeah for sure um so I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. Five quick oh. questions, beer related. Okay. Ready? <clears throat> I, I don't know. All right. <laughs> well, here we go. Uh, one of your beers that you would recommend someone try? Uh, raspberry Berliner Weiss. 
All right. Favorite brewery other than your own? I like Little Red Barn Brewing in Winstead, Connecticut. All right. Favorite style of beer? Uh, it depends on the food and the mood. Okay. If I had to pick one, yeah. I would say Hefeweizens. Hefeweizens. All right. Uh, last beer that you drank that blew you away? Could be yours. Could be another brewery's. Doesn't matter. Actually, the last beer that I drank that blew me away is we did a fresh hopped beer in conjunction with an actual hop farm out in Washington that we visited this year when we were out there, uh, you know, uh, doing our hop selections. And it's a beer called Cult, uh, Cultivate. And uh, I was amazed at how good it came out because I've had a lot of fresh hopped beers. And this I was just so proud of the guys because this beer came out phenomenal. And to have the actual hop farmer and the guys, the distributors that shipped it out, all be like, this is one of the best hop, uh, wet hop beers we've ever had. I was proud and I agreed it was a phenomenal beer. So that that's why that's probably the best beer that blew me away lately. Gotcha. Uh, and you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? Wow. Let me think about that. Um, I think I might go with the uh, Raspberry Berliner Weiss. All right. Yeah, because that's something that everybody enjoys. It's refreshing. Um, doesn't get you too hammered. <laughs> right, right. It's a good all-around beer. Perfect. Well, Kurt, that's all I got for you, man. Oh, well, that's great. That's a, those are some great questions. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast here with Kurt Cameron from Thomas Hooker Ales and Lagers in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thanks, it, man. Mike. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to my interview with Kirk Cameron of Thomas Hooker Ales and Lagers in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Whether you're passing through, live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check them out. Give them a follow on social media too while you're at it. Every other Sunday I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe. You'll never miss it. Also, check us out on social media for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.